0: The first word of the year. All right. I guess it is that, isn't it? Um, it's so good to be with all of you. Welcome to church. I'm so glad you made it. Um, God has most definitely put a word on my heart for this morning. In fact, I wrestled with him because I wanted to preach this next week when everybody's back from partying and from the cl- Christmas slumber. Um, But I just feel so compelled and, in fact, constrained to preach this word this morning. And I trust that it's going to reach our entire community, our entire church. But I I most definitely know that the Lord has some things to say to us that are here in this space, that those that are watching online presently. So um, I'm just looking forward to what the Lord is going to do. And um, I usually preach a very um, particular theme at the beginning of the year, every year, uh, something called the miracle in the mindset. And we're going to touch on that today a little bit, but I felt like the Lord had, had shifted us away from that today for this very particular purpose. I'm going to talk a little bit about the miracle and the mindset, but I want you to go and look at that message from last year, because there's some teaching through the passage that I'm not going to get through today. We're gonna look at the same passage, but I want you to be equipped in the depth that's available there. And today we're gonna to look at one specific word in that passage, and we're gonna allow God to, I pray, open our hearts up to what he means when he says just one word to his disciples. But before we get there, I want to um, I want to show you a passage of scripture, um, which is directly connected to the message today. In fact I feel like anybody seen the beautiful mind before Russell Crowe you know like in that shack or whatever he's got all the pictures and then all the, the 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 lines and all am I talking about the right movie here I feel like that in my mind today and so we're gonna have to I'm not saying that I have a beautiful mind but maybe more like the craziness of Russell Crowe but um, there are things that that are they're that are gonna need to be connected by that red line and whenever God gives me messages like this. I know that it's gonna take a lot of anointing. It's gonna take the Holy Spirit to make these connections in our heart. But I feel, as I said, just compelled and constrained that that God wants to speak something. And so here we go. Can we pray? We're gonna pray a few times today. Jesus, thank you so much for the new year. We know that this is just another day On our calendar, the sun is rising just like it did yesterday. But in it, we just feel the new possibilities and the new hope. But all that does is point us to the gospel. Points us to what you said in the book of Revelation, that you are making all things new. That in you, the old has gone and the new has come. That we are a new creation. So we stand today in this new year a new creation in you by your blood. And so, God, would you just open our hearts? Would you quicken our spirits to receive your word? And so we, we just receive you in this place. We love you, Holy Spirit. Would you point us to Jesus? In Jesus' name, amen. Amen, amen, amen. How many of you are filled with expectation for this year? Amen. Yeah. And you don't have to respond to this next one. How many of you are not so expectant? And it's a true reality for us, right? That there's sometimes been some pain and disappointment in our lives that keep us, that hinder us from hoping and expecting again. And so we'll show up, but we'll show up suppressed. We'll show up not as excited as we once were. And that's a real reality in our lives. Like, let's not fool ourselves that this is, this is another calendar date and we get this psychological boost in it. But we're all come to this space from different experiences in our lives. And we interact with it based upon our experience, but also in Christ based upon our faith in Him. So, even though we may have had kind of rude awakenings sometimes in our hope for the future, we can always find hope in Him. So, it changes our perspective. And so I want all of us today to at least, no matter where we come from, attempt to put our eyes on him who might, in fact, who will reframe our perspective always. And so let's look to him who is our hope, who is the one who said, I am making all things new. Amen? Amen. So I want to read uh, three verses from Psalm chapter 40. And I never do this. But I do feel, I believe that this is gonna be a passage that God is gonna use to frame our entire year. So I'm not the pastor that's saying, hey, God has given me a word for the year, like expansion or growth or new. And if God has given you those words, bless you. But I'm not that guy, God doesn't speak to me that way. But this passage, these three verses are what I believe, God is going to use to set our focus, not just this year, but for years to come. And in fact, if we're speaking about the life of this church and the trajectory of it, I think it's going to frame our future. Psalm chapter 40, verse 1 to 3, it says this, I waited patiently for the Lord, and he turned to me and he heard my cry. He lifted me out of the slimy pit. Out of the mud and mire, he set my feet on a rock, and he gave me a firm place to stand. This is anybody's testimony. Oh, I'm going to get you by the end of this message. He put a new song in my mouth, a hymn of praise to our God. This is my testimony. I can't sing, (laughs) but I got words. And look what he says. Many, as a result of my testimony, what God has done in my life, many will see and fear the Lord and put their trust in him. Has God not taken us out of a slimy place and set our feet on a rock? And because of that, God has put a new song in my mouth. And because of this new song, many will see and many will fear because of what he's done in me. Can anybody testify? (laughs) Brennan's like, oh, this is where we're going this year. All right. Where's the organ up in here? Jeez, come on, Sam, didn't you get the memo? Many will see and fear the Lord and put their trust in him. Jesus, thank you for your word. Illuminate our hearts. Point us, point us, point us, point us to the rock, Jesus. So like I said, this, this time of year, this theme, Miracle in the Mindset, we talk about just this idea that what God has done last year, if we can use the cultural moment we're in, what God has done last year should inform our mindset for this year, that God brings us from strength to strength. And I'm going to talk about that in a quick review, but we're going to look at this passage of Scripture, Mark chapter 8, verse 14. It says this, the disciples, they're on a boat, the disciples have forgotten to bring bread, except for one loaf, right? They got 12 disciples, maybe even a few more, plus Jesus, they got one loaf of bread. Not a good scenario. They're one loaf of bread in the boat, and then Jesus as Jesus does, he starts talking to them, teaching them. He says, be careful, he warned them. Watch out for the yeast of the Pharisees and that of Herod. He says, they discuss this with one another and said, it is because we have no bread. Aware of their discussion, Jesus asked them, why are you talking about having no bread? Do you still not see or understand? Are your hearts hardened? Do you have eyes but fail to see and ears but fail to hear? And don't you remember? When I broke the five loaves for the 5,000, how many basketfuls of pieces did you pick up? Twelve. Like, I can imagine these guys. Like, you're rebuking your kids. Like, how many? And they're like, (laughs) twelve. Twelve. And when I broke the seven loaves for the 4,000, how many basketfuls of pieces did you pick up? And they answered, seven. And he said to them, do you still not understand? Here's the context. Mark chapter 8, a few verses earlier, Jesus is teaching to thousands and thousands of people. 4,000 plus people. And it says that they were hungry and in need of food. Disciples wanted to send them home. And Jesus says, no, we're going to feed them what do we have? A boy comes up, few loaves of bread and a few fish. This massive need that's there, few loaves, few fish. But Jesus is present. And because Jesus is present, although the need was greater than their resource, the need was met. It's a miracle. I love how us Christians, we like, we see a miracle. I'm like, cool, yeah, Jesus fed the four. This is a big deal. (laughs) Like no food, couple of loaves, everybody's fed. Miracle. All because Jesus is present. That happened right before this scene on the boat. Now you have this scene on the boat, and Jesus makes mention of an ingredient in bread, yeast. He says, beware of the yeast of Herod of the Pharisees, and they think that Jesus is being passive aggressive and upset that they didn't bring bread. And then Jesus says to them, why are you talking about having no bread? Do you still not see or understand? Are your hearts not hard? Are your hearts hardened? And then he starts to review what he's done. The miracle that just took place. It wasn't a year ago, five years ago. It was literally the same scene. They went from the miracle to the boat and they still didn't get it. But it's not like Jesus in this moment wanted to be known as the bread guy. Right, like we don't have bread on the boat. Don't you know, I'm the bread guy. Like I can take any amount of bread and make more bread. It's not like Jesus wanted to reveal himself as the one who could multiply food as if that's the only trick that he had. His intent was that the miracle that he did with the 4,000 would reveal his nature. That if there's a need and a lack of resource to fulfill the need, Jesus sees it, Jesus has compassion on it, Jesus fulfills it. And he not only fulfills it, he supersedes it. That's the connection that Jesus wanted to make. That's why he's saying, are you not like, do you not see what's happening here? It's not about the bread. It's about me. The one that no matter what the need is in front of you, I can meet it and supersede it. And he did it all by supernatural means. Like he didn't call in the cavalry and like a bunch of animals came with bread and gave them bread. No, he just bread. There it was. He was expecting that the miracle didn't just meet their, meet their need in the moment, but that it also changed their mindset for the future. Why? The scriptures say he is the same. Surely others said it, the same yesterday, today, and forever. And so if he meets us in the place in the past, we can trust that he's going to meet us in the same way in the future. He is the same person. How he does it might change, but he is still who he is. He sees the need, he has compassion on the need, he meets the need and he supersedes the need all by supernatural means. That's what the connection that he was trying to make. The miracle of yesterday informs our mindset of today. Why are you talking about not having bread? Didn't you see what I did? There are so many things that God has done in our lives in 2022, if you will, and the point of him doing it wasn't just to meet your need. Although he does, and he loves to do that, he is a provider, he is a comforter, he is a sustainer, he meets us in our need, but he meets us in our need, which means he wants to reveal who he is in your need. And as we encounter him in our need, we go into the future knowing who he is in our need. He's showing us that our future is informed by his nature, the nature that he revealed in our past. Are there places that God has met you in this past year? Were you hurting and broken and you felt his comfort? Did you have a financial need that you were stressed about and you've forgotten about how stressed you were about it? Did you have a circumstance that you didn't think you could make it through? And Jesus in his goodness and his kindness got you through it. How many of us in this moment are having a hard time remembering all the things that he did? I think it would take years for us to write down every mercy and every grace and every provision that God gave us just in this last month. And He's saying, don't you see what I've done for you? And if you only saw what I did for you then, you would not be worried or stressed out about what I can do for you now. He comforted me then, He's gonna comfort me now. He provided for me then, He's gonna provide for me now. This is the point that Jesus was making. If you want more about that, go listen to last year's message. But today, I feel like the Lord is taking us deeper. Like I said, my heart is constrained by this. I was wrestling until 6.30 this morning about what to preach. I wanted to preach my favorite message, the miracle and the mindset. But there's something the Lord wants to do amongst us. Verse 17, it says, aware of their discussion, Jesus asked them, Why are you talking about having no bread? That word talking, why are you talking, is this Greek word, dia- let me get it, dialogazome. Why are you discussing? Why are you reasoning? Why are you coming to, to the conclusion that you're without in this moment? The term dialogue, oh, there it is dialogue is ome. Can we say it together? Oh, you guys are so good. I couldn't get it the first time. The term implies one confused mind interacting with other confused minds, each further reinforcing the original confusion. Jesus is saying, why are you guys confusing each other into more confusion about who I am? All around not having bread, thinking I'm being passive aggressive, as if the Son of Man is passive aggressive. He is the truth. He's not gonna beat around the bush. Oh, you didn't bring any bread. Shame on you guys. You should have thought about lunch. It's not what he's doing. He's referring to their conversation. He's referring to what they're talking about. He's saying, why are you leading each other into bad thinking? Not just bad thinking about the world or bad thinking about a neighbor, bad thinking about who Jesus is. Why are you confused about my nature? It's not just why are you allowing your mind to go there, it's why are you allowing your conversation to go there? Can we go deeper? This past November, which seems like so long ago, we spent so much time in Joshua chapter three. Passage that God has given us, and we've interacted with for years and years and years, but to this day, it continues to inform us about our future. It gives us vision for where we're going. If We can see it in the text. If, if God is revealing it to us through his scripture, we can have assurance that he's leading us this way. Because it's not just a bright idea. It's not just something a guy's coming up with. It's rooted. It's rooted in his word, revealed to us by the Holy Spirit. So one more time, I believe that God is gonna take us through Joshua chapter three and I want you to see something today. Prophetically, God has given us, continuing to give us vision through this text. Remember, Joshua chapter three, the people of God are at the precipice of the promise, right on the other side of the Jordan River. And it says this, early in the morning, Joshua and all the Israelites set out from Shittim and went to the Jordan where they camped before crossing over. After three days, the officers went throughout the camp giving orders to the people, when you see the Ark of the Covenant of the Lord your God and the Vitical priests carrying it, you are to move out from your positions and follow it. Sound familiar? I hope so. Then you will know which way to go since you have never been this way before. I preached to that for weeks. In fact, I can say i preached that for years. (laughs) But I never talked about this next sentence. And it haunted me. I've been waiting and waiting and waiting to talk about this. Follow the ark. When you see it, move out from your positions. Then you will know which way to go. But keep a distance of about 2,000 cubits between you and the ark. Do not go near it. Now this is a long distance. This is about 900 meters. This is a far away distance. So the question we have to ask today in this vision of how God is calling us, why is He saying keep a distance between you and the ark of about 900 meters? Almost one kilometer. Anybody have a guess? Well, we know the ark is holy, right? Scriptures talk about how we can and cannot interact, the Jews, the Hebrews back in the day, interact with the Ark, right? There was curtains, there was, it was cordoned off, you couldn't look upon it, as, like it had all of these provisions because it was so holy, but the instruction was never 2,000 cubits. So it's not just that it's holy, there's something else that's being instructed, there's something prophetically here that God is saying in this, keep a distance of 2,000 cubits. We get a hint in Exodus chapter 40, verse 36. It says, In all the travels of the Israelites, whenever the cloud lifted from above the tabernacle, they would set out. But if the cloud did not lift, they did not set out until the day it lifted. And look at verse 38. So the cloud of the Lord was over the tabernacle by day, and fire was in the cloud by night. Listen in the sight of all the Israelites during their travels. It was important that everybody could see the presence of God over the tabernacle. It was a pillar, went up to the sky, no matter where they were in the camp, they could see that God is here. And if He's staying, we stay. And when He leaves, we leave. So that everyone can see it. But in the transition between Moses' leadership and Joshua's leadership, it says that there was no longer a cloud and no longer a fire, but what they had was what the cloud and the fire pointed to, the ark. But the ark was carried by people, Levites. I'm not very tall and like Hebrews, Jews are not very tall either. So you can understand then that this ark is, not going to be very tall. But if God's intent was for everybody to see it, they didn't have cameras and put it, put it on a big like mega display, like a football stadium. No, they couldn't do that. So His instruction was, so that everybody could see it, you had to stand back. Do not go close to it. Not just because it's holy, although it is. Stand back so that everybody could see the movement of God. So that everybody could go. And this is a theme we see throughout all of scripture, and I've been pointing at it for weeks because I've just wanted to preach this. Jesus said, when I am lifted up, like Moses lifted up the snake in the wilderness, meaning when you see me, you will be healed. Book of Revelations, what does it say? Every eye will see. Jesus says again, I must be lifted up. And when I am lifted up, I will draw all men unto myself. The point was that we see Jesus. So even in this kind of obscure instruction in Joshua, we get a glimpse of the heart of God in his people. Stand back 2,000 feet so that everyone can see. Meaning it was not okay for one person, Joshua, to see it and everybody just follow Joshua. No, there was something that was shifting. In Moses' leadership, only one man went up the mountain, got the instruction, and came down. In Joshua's leadership, it was important because it pointed to Jesus that everyone could see. It's important that they saw with their own eyes so that the testimony of God was personal. So that each one had something to say about God and about his movement, that God was personal in his leadership. Every eye will see, and so it is with us. Your faith is personal. Do you have a testimony about his leadership in your life? Oh, it's so important that you understand that your faith is personal. I can't have faith for you. Nobody else's faith will save you. You have to see. See God's intent here. He positioned himself in the tabernacle amongst his people so that everyone could see. They always grumbled to Moses. Moses, go talk to your God. God says, no, no, no. I want them to grumble to me personally. His intent was that everyone could see. Your faith is personal. In order for you to have faith in Jesus, you have to see him for who he is. But the emphasis here in Joshua chapter three isn't just that you see. The emphasis is this, is that we all see. Stay back so everyone can see. If it was just about the individual, he would say, early bird gets the worm. First one out gets the best view. No, he said, everybody has to stay back. So it's not just you who sees it, it's for the sake of the corporate. Everyone has to see. Oh, I'm so excited about preaching and I can't wait for you to be excited too. He was telling the Jews, the Hebrews, to make room for everyone to see. There was a part that we play so that all might see him. Oh, man. But I get it. I get it. Thank you, Jesus. I get it. This, what I'm about to preach, bumps up against our Western ideas, that the individual is more important than the corporate. We have a rugged individuality in the West. And that's very, very important, meaning that your faith is personal and no one can take it away from you. Your experience with him is your experience with him. But there's something that God is inviting us into, and it's new for me as a church, as a community, as the bride. Oh, man, I'm excited to get here. I get why we don't get this, because it's, it's new, it's different. There's a part that we play, not a part that you play. There's a part that we play so that everyone might see. Last year, Christian Allen was with us. I can say last year. Last year, Christian Allen was with with us, and he said, there's a phrase that is gonna be part of our identity for a while, and the phrase was what? Does anybody remember? Crazy faith. You're gonna need crazy faith for where God is calling you. Crazy faith for what He's taking you into. You guys remember this word? Has anybody needed to engage crazy faith? How crazy? Crazy faith. Remember, faith is a personal journey. That's good, and it's true, and I'm not taking that away from anybody. But that is not all there is to it. Faith is also a corporate journey. There's a place that God is calling us to that we can only go to if we go together. That means this, that if I'm well on my way and Sam is struggling behind me, I don't have a right to go where God is calling us to unless he comes with me. And I have a role to play to position myself, not to drag him with me, to position myself so that he can see where God's calling him to go. Stay back 2,000 cubits. So that everyone can see. Position yourself as a body so that no one's left behind. And there's a place that God has called you to. Let me be the bearer of good slash bad news for you in this moment. There's a place that God has called you to that you cannot get to. Unless you go with those that God has called you to. This is God's design. The scriptures say, and we know it, we have the mind of Christ. Have you heard this before? Corinthians, for we have the mind of Christ. That word is plural. Sam doesn't have the mind of Christ. I don't have the mind of Christ. We have the mind of Christ. It's together that we have the mind of Christ. It's a corporate mind that he gives us, and he does this intentionally. Paul's writings. The ear cannot say to the toe, who cannot say to the eye, who cannot say to the heart that I don't need you. And he did this intentionally, so that the ear can't just detach itself and walk into this journey that God, it needs the body. So the ear's job is to hear, to inform the brain that informs the heart. We need each other. This is God's design. Your faith is personal, but it's also corporate. There's a place that God has called you to go to in your life, but you can't get there unless you go together. And there's a place that God has called us to go to that we can't get to unless you come, unless you see him for who he is. Do you see what he's doing? Stand back 2,000 cubits because we're going together. It's not okay anymore that it's one man's vision that gets us there. I need everybody to see what gets us there. You're getting it. Thank you. We're, We're in it. We together, the collective, have the mind of Christ. Remember in the book of Numbers, there are 12 spies as they approached the promised land. They sent 12 spies to investigate this land. God, we know that you said that there's gonna be all this stuff over here. We're gonna go see it for ourselves. 12 spies come back, right? The grapes are massive. There's milk, there's honey, it's all there. There's giants. God, you even told us about these giants, these armies that are bigger than us. They come back, and remember, 10 of them came back with a negative report they all said the same thing by the way grapes are big food's good all these like the land is what it is and there's giants there's armies they're big they all came back with the same report but their assessment about what they saw was different right 10 of them gave a bad report let's go back to egypt the giants are too big We know this story, right? Two of them, Joshua and Caleb, said, no, no, no. Yeah, the giants are big. We see the same thing. But God said the giants would be big. God said the army would be bigger. God said, don't worry about it because I'm coming with you. But do we remember what happened? God said that this generation cannot go in. Right? Because they're doubting. But I want to throw you a curveball. It wasn't because the 10 doubted that they didn't get to go in. Spies were judged not just because they doubted, but because they spread seeds of doubt amongst the people, like an infectious disease. God didn't keep a whole nation out because 10 people said it was too hard. God kept the whole nation out because those 10 people went around speaking to everyone, sowing seeds of doubt. To remind you of anything that Jesus said in Mark chapter 8, why are you talking this way? And more specifically, It's because they did not make the connection between the miracle of the past and how it should inform them about their future. It wasn't just because they saw giants, it's because they didn't allow yesterday to inform them of today. They didn't allow the miracle of bread to relieve their anxiety about not having any bread. Let me show this to you. That misconnection, it spread like wildfire. Us not seeing God for who He is. It's more contagious than COVID 19. I'm like, should I? Or the flu. Not seeing for him for who he is is more disastrous than any pandemic that would afflict our body that this world can throw at us. They didn't make the connection. Look what it says in Deuteronomy chapter 20. Oh my gosh, this blows my mind. The Bible. It says, when you go to war against your enemies and see horses and chariots in an army greater than yours. Oh, he gave them a heads up. Do not be afraid of them because the Lord your God, listen, who brought you up out of Egypt will be with you. Just like Jesus, he reminds them of their past. I want you to make a connection here. I showed up in your midst in Egypt and delivered you with a strong hand to show you that whatever comes towards you in the future, I got it covered. The miracle needs to inform your mindset. God was always reminding them in the Old Testament, don't forget, and He only used one thing. I'm the one that took you out of Egypt. You were in slavery and I delivered you. Don't forget, don't forget, because you're gonna need to know who I am in the midst of you seeing armies bigger than you. Verse two. When you're about to go into battle, the priest shall come forward and address the army. He shall say, you hear me. He shall say, Here, Israel, today you're going to battle against your enemies. But do not be faint-hearted or afraid. Do not panic or be terrified by them. For the Lord your God is the one who goes with you to fight for you against your enemies to give you victory. It was important that the priests who ministered the heart of God walked amongst all the people as they were about to go to remind them that they're going to see some scary things. But there's nothing more scary than the God of all gods, judging those who oppress His people. Fear Him, not them. But I want you to see something, the priest, singular, went to say to the people. Did you know that God's heart was that Israel was a priestly nation? that everyone would be a priest, not just Moses, not just Aaron, not just their lineage, that they all could see him and testify to who he is. That was his heart. That was his intention that all would prophesy. Do you remember this? And the new covenant says that we are a royal priesthood, that we're all priests, meaning that we all have the job of the priest in this moment, that whenever we're facing war, we're to go out in the camp and say that our God is bigger than whatever we face. Not just think it, not just believe it, but talk about it. Why are you talking this way when you should be talking this way? I'm not worried about bread, I just did bread. They were literally kept from the promise, their inheritance, because of the conversations they were having. Oh, man, sometimes we make God more mysterious than he is. He was literally challenging their lips because their lips were the overflow of their heart. Why does your heart not see me for who I am? I just delivered you. I took you out of the slimy pit. I set you on a rock. Mark 8, why are you talking about having no bread? Do you still not see or understand? or your hearts hardened? Would he say that to us? Do you have eyes but fail to see how good I've been and how I've delivered you? And ears but fail to hear? And don't you remember? I feel like right now God is equipping people like business strategy right now, you don't have to spend as much time as you've been spending worried and strategizing about something that God said, I've already covered it because I showed you in the past. I saw people's faces just flash before my eyes. Stop talking about how big the problem is. And whether God is being passive aggressive Verse five, I love this. Deuteronomy 20, remember for the Lord your God is with you. He goes fights for you against your enemies. In verse five, this is like how they're prepared for war. It says the officers shall say to the army, has anyone built a new house and not yet begun to live in it? Let's go home. Or he may die in battle and let someone else begin to live in it. Has anyone planted a vineyard and not begin to enjoy it? Let him go home or he may die in battle and someone else enjoy it. What? I thought everyone was supposed to rise to the occasion. Has anyone become pledged to a woman and not married her? Let him go home or he may die in battle and someone else marry her. How many movies have we seen about this? Pearl Harbor? Did that happen? (laughs) I mean it, like, no, no, I'm saying, spoiler, that movie came out like 20 years ago. I'm saying, you watch a movie like that, does your not heart, isn't your heart break? And God is like, listen, I don't want this to happen. There's a battle that's going to be fought, I got it covered, but listen, there's a few things, like if you just planted a vineyard, go, go enjoy it. If you're about to get married, go. Be with your wife. Don't go to war. Lest you die and somebody else takes her. You just built a house and you haven't smashed the wine bottle and carried your champagne, sorry, carried your, that would be messy if it was wine, and carried your wife through the door? Go home. What he's saying is like, listen, like I got this covered. Go. I don't need numbers. All I need is for you to believe in who I say I am. Like, but I need everyone to see, but look what he says next. Then the officers shall add, is anyone afraid or faint hearted? Let him go home. Listen, so that his fellow soldiers will not become disheartened too. He said, if you're afraid, listen, go home, be comfortable. The only reason you're afraid is because you haven't yet made the connection between the God who was with you in Egypt, delivered you, and the God who will be with you. But listen, like, just go home. Because if you're in that much fear and you're approaching an army, not knowing who your God is, you're going to talk. You're gonna gossip, you're gonna talk a lot, and you're gonna spread that seed like wildfire. And before you know it, they're gonna get their eyes off of me and they're gonna put them on you. How much pressure do we feel sometimes to like not be in fear? You're not supposed to be afraid, right? Because God, it's the message I'm preaching. God did this, so how dare you be afraid? But God makes room for their fear. He's just making room over there. (laughs) Like, listen, like, you're my people. You're my children. I'm not kicking you out. But these guys are going to war, and war requires something. War requires you to see me for who I am. And if you can't see me for who I am, just stay home. They hadn't yet allowed the miracle to inform their mindset. And God was saying through these leaders, I can't let that mindset have any influence. I can't let you talk. He didn't banish them. He just said, you're not equipped for war. And only those who could make the connection that God, that the God who delivered them from Egypt would be their victory. Only those people could go to war. This is why what comes out of our mouth matters. Because there are some of us that need to go to war. There's some of us that need the faith to conquer giants that nobody else will go after. There's some of us that need to be on the front lines and if we did not have the testimony of what God has done, we will not, would not be able to stand in front of our enemies. Can someone give me a a tissue? My apologies. Your mom ever say to you, your mom ever say to you, if you don't have anything good to say, don't say anything at all? Anybody? Excuse me, this is really embarrassing. If you don't have anything good to say, don't say anything at all. That sounds cute, doesn't it? But it ain't biblical. At least not in this context. Because God gave them something to say. God has given you something to say. And it was simple. God brought us up out of Egypt. That's all they needed to know. That's all he reminded them of. God did it. God fed 4,000 with bread. That's all you need to know when I'm talking about bread. God brought us up out of Egypt and He will be our victory. Listen, God has given you something to say. Let the redeemed of the Lord say so. We're having a staff meeting a few weeks ago I want to take a moment with her staff and like talk about all the beautiful things God was doing. And we're going around the circle in our, in our staff room. And we came to one of our people who I will not mention. And they were like, <coughs> I'm falling apart up here. Excuse me. They were like, I got nothing to say. And everything in me was like, how dare you have nothing to say? How like, how could it be that you have nothing to say? God has done this and he's done this and has done this and you can't identify one thing that you can say that God has done in our midst to encourage us all that he's good? Scriptures say his praises will ever be on my lips. Every single one of us who have seen him for who he is has something to say always. It wasn't complicated, God delivered me. He took me out of a slimy pit and set me on a rock. What does even that mean? I don't know, but it's pretty special. What does slime mean for you? And what does a rock mean for you? I know what it means for me. I know that space that I was in five years ago that I didn't think I could move forward, that was a darn sure slimy pit. And I feel like that is a million light years away because of the rock that I stand on today. That's my testimony and no one can take it away from me. So when I see something coming my way that smells like slime, looks like slime, I'm like, oh, he's done this. It's a little scary, a little unsure. Oh, but I remember. He did it once, he's gonna do it again. He has given you something to say. Can you just say this? He's given me something to say. say. Say it. Even our world gets this right now. Daily affirmations. Just speak it. Speak it over yourself. How much more important is it to speak who he is over ourselves? It matters what we say. Because everyone needs to see. No, 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 stay with me. Everyone needs to see. Everyone needs to see. That's his heart. When I'm raised up, everyone needs to see. Every eye will see. And every tongue will confess. It's his heart. Everyone needs to see. Stay back 2,000 cubits because everyone needs to see. So it matters that you speak the testimony of God so that everyone can see. So that those who are blind and foggy, those who are looking at their fear, looking at their agony, looking at their hopelessness, hear a voice from the people of God saying, no, he's done this, look at him. This is why we worship, because the testimony of God rises in this place and our hearts start to rise too. We leave this place different because we got a glimpse of Him. What? Through the mouths of the people who are around us. Oh, I'm going to preach this morning. It matters what you say. Why are you talking about having no bread? Jesus says, I'm the bread guy. I'm being cute, but how many of those joking moments do we have in our own lives? Like if we would just look 30 minutes ago, three days ago, you got something to say and it's important that you say it because everyone needs to see. What does the scripture say? Faith comes by, faith comes by and hearing the voice of God? What if he made it a corporate responsibility that those who are lacking faith hear the word of God? What's gonna come out of your lips? The testimony of Jesus. Matters what's on our lips. Not for your sake, not just for your sake, but for our sake. There's a place that God is calling us to go. And it requires that everyone see. If someone's not seeing it, I expect surely they'll lift their voice and say, I was in a slimy pit and God has set me on a rock. Is that not true? Is it not true? People need to hear. Psalm 40. We're going to close. Ben, you can come back up. I waited patiently for the Lord. I want you to find your testimony in these words. I waited patiently for the Lord. He turned to me and he heard my cry. He lifted me up out of the slimy pit, out of the mud and the mire and he set my feet on a rock and he gave me a firm place to stand. He put a new song in my mouth, a hymn of praise to our God. Many will see and fear the Lord and put their trust on him. This is the verse for our church for this year and beyond, that he has taken us individually and corporately out of a slimy pit and set us on a rock, and because of the sound of our voice, Because the worship that comes out of our mouth, many will see and many will fear and put their trust in Him. Is my testimony? Is it your testimony? I remember a few years ago, we used to live in White Rock This memory is the epitome of my pain. So if I think about a slimy pit I was in, I think about this moment. I was driving my Volkswagen Rabbit. I would drive down 24th Avenue, 16th Avenue, 8th Avenue in South Surrey. Spent time with the Lord this time, this day was different. I was weeping, I was crying, I was in so much pain. It was coming out of my eyes. It never happens to me. I don't cry like that. It was just, I had nothing else to say about how, but how much pain I was in. But the pain was the result of the call of God in my life. God, you sent me on this journey, and I'm saying yes to you, and all I feel is every moment of pain I've ever lived come up in this moment. I'm, I'm overwhelmed by how much pain I'm in. Because of you, God. This was, the, this was the slimiest pit I've ever been in in my life. I remember slamming my fist on my steering wheel as I was driving, angry, God, I'm in so much pain. I remember swear words coming out of my mouth. I have vivid memories of being that much agony. And he was the target of all my pain. There's things that came out of my mouth that I am deeply ashamed of today. But I think that's what David says. Oh, I was in a slimy pit. Oh, that was a slimy pit for me. I remember driving home and two of my friends were there. My eyes were beet red. They're like, oh, you've been, you been smoking something? And I'm like, that was a, I would have rather said yes to that than admit to what I was doing. That was a slimy pit. But when I read these words, I waited patiently for the, for the Lord. He turned to me and he heard my cry. He lifted me up out of the slimy pit, out of the mud, out of the mire, and he set my feet on a rock. Oh, I can say yes and amen. Is there anybody else here that can testify that life has looked slimy, but he set my feet on a rock. And he gave me a firm place to sound. Stand, he put a new song in my mouth, a hymn of praise, and many will see and fear the Lord and put their trust in him. This is my testimony. Look what he says in verse 9. Because of this, I proclaim your saving acts in the great assembly. I gotta come tell the story about what God did. I gotta speak his faithfulness. I gotta speak his salvation. I got to. Because everyone needs to see, and everybody wants to put, needs to put their trust in him. I do not seal my lips, Lord, as you know. I do not hide your righteousness in my heart. I speak your faithfulness and your saving help. I do not conceal your love and your faithfulness from the great assembly. This word is gonna carry us. There's a shift that God is bringing to our church so that everyone can see and everyone can hear what he's done. I will not conceal my lips. I will not hold back the testimony of God, and neither will you, because that's where God is calling us. There's something that he's done in your life, in your heart, and God is saying, speak it. Stop talking about not having what you need, because he is what you need. He was, he is, and he always will be. I love the word of God. Because the Word of God just preached to you today. The reason why this is so deep on my heart is because in one month, we have had two and rumors of three miscarriages in our church. And we have had one on top of that, stillborn baby at 23 weeks old, all within one month. One month, this is an assault on the promises of God over the people of our church. He said, fruitfulness will be your inheritance. Barrenness will not be your story. One month. But there are people in this room and online and part of our community that have the testimony of God in their lives to say, that was my story. But out of death came life. And people need to hear it. This is not okay. I can hear Jesus' tone on the boat and saying, why are you talking this way? I can hear, isn't there anyone, one amongst you that can say who I am. Isn't there anyone who saw what I did? Yes. Isn't there anyone that has the testimony of God in this situation? There are people in this church and in this city who are dealing with mental health issues. Isn't there anyone among you who God has delivered from depression, from anxiety, who set their feet on a rock? Isn't there anyone among you that has a story of provision when you felt everything was gone? Isn't there anyone among you who has lacked identity and God invaded your space and now you are a new creation and you know who you are in him? I proclaim your saving acts in the great assembly. I do not seal my lips, Lord, as you know. I do not hide your righteousness in my heart. I speak of your faithfulness and your saving help. I do not conceal your love and your faithfulness from the great assembly. This word assembly is the same word that Jesus used for the church in the New Testament. The assembly of the people of God. And you know what he said about this assembly? He said, I will build my assembly and the gates of hell will not prevail. Well, the gates of hell were exactly what those Israelites were staring down. The gates of hell are the things that you and I face that are in opposition to the promises of God in our life. And the word of God says that those gates will not prevail. The promise of God will carry you through. But what we need in the great assembly is for everyone's head to be lifted to who He is. Because hell will bow to the name of Jesus, barrenness will bow to the name of Jesus. But there's somebody that's got to say it, and it can't just be me. That's right, that's right. You know why I preach this way? Because God took me up out of a slimy pit and set me on a rock and I will proclaim his goodness. And that's exactly why he let me be in a slimy pit. That's right. So I can learn him, know his heart, and declare to you that in your slimy pit, he will lift you out and set you on a rock. In Jesus name, amen. That will be the voice of our church. That is the voice of our church and we will not hide it. Oh, I could connect this to altars, I could connect it to all the things, but I'm gonna let the Spirit of God connect it for you. Tony had a dream a few weeks ago. And in it, he saw our church in a glass box. I mean, that everybody could see what was happening inside.